Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Things are happening rapidly across the nation on the abortion front. I know we hear about it every day, but I'm keeping you updated every day here on Trending as the story continues to develop. Yesterday, some of the latest news is the rogue judge and attorney general and how they are basically determining on their own how they will or will not implement what has been state law for nearly a hundred years in the state of Michigan when it comes to abortion. So stay tuned. I'll explain to you what's happening. This rogue judge and attorney general will take questions circling around the abortion argument today. If you have a question, numbers 1-888-914-9149. We'll talk about the model of St. Joseph as a servant of Christ. Joining me now on Trending is Sean Forrest. Sean Forrest is the founder and president of the incredible incredible missionary work being done in Haiti. His work is called Haiti 180. You can find it at Haiti180.com. He has built an orphanage and services a number of children, housing them and feeding them and caring for these children and the villagers in desperate need of support. He also, prior to this, has worked within the Catholic Church for years in formation, youth education, and is a musician as well. Prior to his reversion into, or actually conversion into the Catholic faith, he had a rather famous life as a musician, and he's here now to share his story of fighting his way from performing in bars to the Catholic faith. This is our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending, and gentlemen, this is a story that is so inspiring to hear the conversion story of a man who's been there and who has fought his way to be the father and husband that he is today. Sean Forrest, welcome to Trending. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to hear you back stateside from your work there in Haiti. Always good to come back. Wonderful. I am looking forward to unpacking so much of what you're doing now, everything from Haiti uh, to where you started. If you could kind of give us a crash course in your life, you lived quite the life on the road as a musician, performing as the opener for some very high profile musicians that many people will in fact recognize. But why don't you share with us a little bit of who you performed for and opened for and where you found yourself in of the secular music world so the the bands that we opened for um 
Well, I performed in front of Billy Joel. We we used to do a lot of celebrity benefits. So there would be a lot of celebrities in the crowds for us. So, you know, uh, Alec Baldwin, William Baldwin, um, Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick. Uh, so those would be the people who had come to the shows and that because we would do benefit shows for their causes. And then they'd be like, hey, do our show, do our show. Um, so, you know, we've uh, some of the older listeners would remember, like, you know, uh, the mamas and the papas and things like that. And uh uh, Hall and Oates, th- those would be groups that we'd open up for back in the day. Uh, these are bands way before you too, just so you know. But sure <laughs> Fantastic. Now, you found yourself in the music scene. You're playing before some of what you could say the elitists here in the nation. You found yourself living a very comfortable lifestyle financially. Um, tell us a little bit of kind of where you were at as a musician, the success you had and the state you found yourself personally and on a spiritual level there. I, I, we'd worked our way to a place of playing really big nightclubs, ski resorts. So in the summer we're standing in the beach and in the winter we're at ski resorts, you know, real high end bars, lots of money. And, you know, we were sponsored by different alcohols and, uh, the money was coming in really well. I had a condo on the beach with four private beaches, a sailboat, power boat, fishing boat, beautiful wife for fun. We just, you know, just take off, go on trips. It was, it was pretty good. I got to a point where I was just working weekends playing music, but making more money than my friends were who graduated from college. Um, so doing all that growing up, I was still young and a knucklehead and I'm like, Hey, this is a great life. This is all there is to life. Then after, year seven, eight, nine, you start saying, so is this it? Do we just keep playing bigger venues and getting more money? Is that going to make me more happy? Um, and I started asking some bigger questions. Um, so, you know, we, I got to a point in my career where I had to make a decision because, uh, I was getting recognized by some people, the possibility of doing a reality show of us up, up in the ski resorts. And so that, peak of my career was happening just at the point of where I was also saying, is, is this all there is to life? You know, you can only sing so many Jimmy Buffett songs before you start to go crazy and go, I guess, I guess this is it. You know, you can only have so many beers before you say, wow, it's starting to feel like groundhog day here over and over again, doing the same thing. And most people would think you're crazy. What do you mean? That's the perfect life. And I'm telling you, I, I lived that lifestyle and I met a lot of people and a lot of soul searching goes on for people, but they get distracted by the crowd and alcohol. I, I'm just blessed by, I'm sure my grandparents who are praying for me saying, Hey buddy, you're called for more than this. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can't, it came to me at a crossroads. My, the, my questioning about God, I came into faith from, I, I was a Protestant and then just kind of left Jesus dangling out there because it didn't fit with my lifestyle of partying. So I went into Buddhism, checked out Hinduism, and I, I was just in everything. Um, but I couldn't deny my intellect, my reason. I had to ask questions and the, my, the, the uh, philosophies uh, that I was following weren't they weren't matching my question. They weren't answering my questions and there seemed to be discrepancies. So I, I had to keep asking more and more questions and, you know, Jesus says, seek and you'll find. And, you know, I, so I came to faith, not as somebody saying, I need to find Jesus. I was like, what is true? What's important? And why am I alive? And who knows the answer to that? And all those questions led me to Christ. And then, then I came into my old Protestant church again 
then I started asking more questions. Uh, well, how do I know Pastor Dan's right about this? He just started his own church. Why can't I start mine? <laughs> Ask more questions, read some Scott Hahn books. Next thing you know, I'm being confirmed in the Catholic Church. Wow, that's incredible. Let's, you jumped really quickly from where you were to where you're at. And it, it happens, it happens somewhat quickly, but you kind of found yourself in the midst of a sponsorship, I believe with Jägermeister. You were performing in the bars. Part of your partnership was, you know, to try and get people to toast and drink as much beer as they could and the more money you would make. Can you detail a little bit of that experience and that conversion, even how a Catholic priest actually walked into part of that journey with and for you as well. Yeah, it's actually a really amazing story. Um, so I'm on stage and while I was performing, there was a Catholic church about 20 minutes away. And one of my shows, Happy Hours, was happening during their their uh, teen mass and the young adults who ran that. And more and more young adults who ran that were coming to my Happy Hour show and leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And this priest walked in, I'm on stage and I used to wear this cross, but it was more like decoration or, you know, Jesus is cool, but you know, I wasn't a follower. And I watched it. He was a little Italian priest. He walked through that bar so fast. Like he was parting the Red Sea, just moving people out of his way. And he came to the <laughs> foot of the stage and he looked at me and he said, come here. And I bent down and I, I'm not kidding. I thought he was going to request the song. <laughs> and goes, I know it's, oh, I'm so arrogant. And he goes, you should take your cross off. And I said, what? And he goes, I don't want to judge your soul, but if I was a bet man, I bet if you died right now, you'd go to straight to hell, have a good day. And he walked out and I was like, what? <laughs> and I was so bad. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I can't believe he's saying these things to me. And that put the bug in my heart about, wait, is there a hell? Is he, you know, mm. who sent him here? This just seems mm. peculiar. So that's what started me thinking even more about like, well, are the Buddhists right? Or is there a hell? Is that, you know, mm -hmm. and that was an important part. The second part of that story is when I started reading more about Jesus and coming into the faith, you know, just on the door, not in all the way, I told one person, and that was the guy I jammed with, my partner in crime. We were a duo act. And I told him, you know, I'm thinking of being a God follower. And he thought it was amusing. So he started telling people and I didn't know it. And I didn't know anything about Catholicism at the time. We just thought Catholics mm -hmm. were crazy people. You know, they eat Jesus, have beads and all kinds of talk to statues. You know, I didn't know anything about it. And I got a knock at the door right before I'm about to do one of the biggest shows. Now, during my shows, you were right. I would get on stage and they'd line up a bunch of shots of Jägermeister. And there would be about 1,500 people at these shows. And at least three quarters of them would get a shot and I would do a toast. It was always a limerick and it was very inappropriate and had to do with Jägermeister. And, you know, I'd get a lot of money for it because the Jäger rep was there watching me solicit that alcohol. So, I, I, you know, I'm like, hey, of course I'm going to do these shots. But it was making me question when I started thinking about Jesus more. Can I be a God follower and keep doing this? Mm. Uh, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. I think I'm developing something called a conscience. And... um. I'm in my condo and I get a knock at the door and these three guys walk in. And I'm like, hey, and one of them looked familiar. I'm like, is your name Guy? He goes, yeah. And I go, what do you guys want? He goes, before you go on your show, we want to talk to you and see if we can pray with you. And they were dun, 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 Catholics. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Who knew? They came and knocking. This never happens. <laughs> right, right. And they're like, hey, can we pray with you? I'm like, no, I, I barely even pray. Could you just please leave? And they handed me a rosary. I'm like, what's this? And they're like, it's a weapon of the Lord. I'm like, you guys are weird. You just got to get out of here. And they're like, we're going to be praying for you. <laughs> and then I was like, thank you. And I rushed them out the door. 
I get on stage and I'm really torn about doing that shot and doing that toast because I, I just knew God had called me to other things. And, you know, I'd had a faith from my childhood. My mom gave me a Bible when I was little and I kept it with me and I still have it to these years uh, to, to this day. I walk out on stage and I'm just torn. I'm like, dude, if, if I really want to seek God, can I keep helping people get drunk and leading them and getting drunk myself? And I got nervous and I was like, you know, what? my boat, I like my house. I like all my money. So I knelt down to do the shot. And when I looked over those three guys who'd come to my condo, Catholic guys, they were in a section over to the right where you can sit and have food. And they were praying a rosary for me in the bar. Wow. Which was crazy. And I was so moved by that that it gave me this courage. I was like, wow, I don't know what those guys believe, but they love me. And I didn't do the shot. I didn't do the toast. And instead I said, Hey, I want to play you guys a song. And I always say, this was my getting out of the boat moment, you know, where Peter takes a step in faith, he falls, but at least he got out of the boat. And I said, it was kind of at that moment. I said, all right, I'm all in. I want to stop pretending. I'm really going to seek you God. And so I played a song for everybody about Peter walking on the water about him getting out of the boat. Nobody knew this this whole time while I was discerning that story always touched my heart about the courage to step out of the boat while the rest of the men stayed in fearful. I wanted to be that guy. And so I sang this song in about Peter and Jesus on the water in a bar room full of drunkards. And I got to tell you, singing a song in public is scary. Singing a, an original song in public is really scary, but singing a song about Peter walking on the water in a room full of drunkards is horrifying. <laughs> and I played it. And um, within a couple of weeks, I was completely out of work from every bar. Cause I just, I couldn't party anymore. I was just, I was done. My heart was just done with that. And, you know, bar owners were like, Hey, we count on you to sell alcohol and you sell alcohol by drinking it yourself. And I was like, well, then I'm done and lost all that income. Um, it was, it was financially a ruin, but one of the greatest moments in my life, my, my wife will agree with that. Cause that's what kind mm -hmm. of set us free to finally go on the adventure with God. Praise God. What an incredible testimony. I want to come back to many parts of this, um, one of which will talk about why did these three men target you? Where was your wife in this journey? What were her thoughts? We'll unpack also that moment of here you are, you go through this conversion, but what does that mean now? You're losing everything. You found yourself out of work. What does this mean for your wife and your future? We'll be right back here on Trending with Sean Forrest. Find his work at Haiti180.com. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray during our weekly Gentleman's Hour. We're going to discuss St. Joseph in 
his role as the father of Christ in just a little bit. We'll also take your questions on the abortion front. I'll give you the latest news, especially coming out of the state of Michigan, a rogue attorney general as well as a rogue judge making their own decisions about abortion in this state. This is outrageous. We are looking at potential anarchy when it comes to decisions circling around abortion. So it's a warning. It's an idea of what we will see when the anticipated Roe versus Wade decision is overturned in the coming weeks, in the coming days by the Supreme Court of the United States. We'll also take your questions, some of those common arguments you're hearing on abortion. You can also send those to me on Instagram at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also posted some of the latest arguments uh, in response to the abortion crisis that we've covered here on Trending. Joining me today is Sean Forrest. Sean Forrest is the founder and president of the incredible nonprofit in Haiti called Haiti One. 180, helping to care for orphans, children, and villagers there in Haiti with housing, food, and the basic care that they need. He's been sharing his incredible testimony of coming from the secular world as a musician, performing before some of the top musicians and artists in the world um, in celebrities performing um, and working, making very high dollar amounts. And he left us off with his story of how he is there working in collaboration with the Jägermeister in the bars. And he's making money based on how much essentially he can get people to drink in the bars while he's performing. And at the same time, he's going through this massive conversion uh, into, to Christianity of his childhood, but ultimately into Catholicism. A priest walks into the bar, uh, calls him out. Three men show up at his doorstep and then at his bar and are praying for him. And here he is. He can no longer do these toasts, encouraging all the alcohol. He's having a hard time performing in the bar scene. And as he starts to perform more of a faith-filled song, actually one of the first songs he ever wrote, um, he ends up being canceled talk about the cancel culture. Within three weeks, he cannot get a single job. Um, And he's going to share with us a little bit about how he was facing everything from losing everything financially, I think even on the brink of bankruptcy. And I'd love to pick up the story here, Sean, here, you know, where your wife was in the midst of this. uh, And even how these three men targeted specifically you to pray for, show up at your doorstep and then at the bar. Well, so Julie, my wife, she was, um, she was out partying with me, honestly. But the strange thing is, but she always went to mass. She, you know, it it was bizarre to me. It was like, well, you're doing everything else wrong to keep going mass. She's like, I can't miss. So she, she didn't have much knowledge. She's a brilliant woman, but she never really trained to know much when I'd ask her questions like, well, why Catholicism? This, this is like, I don't know. I don't know. I just need to go. So when I came as a Protestant, when I became Protestant, I made her come to church with me and then she'd go to mass and I would be so offended because I didn't understand why. And it would drive me crazy because she wasn't sure completely why. Um, And then it's funny. Then people start to say, well, thank God your wife brought you back to the faith. And I'm like, actually, it wasn't like that. She went to mass, but she really wasn't into the faith. And then when I converted to Catholicism and started reading and studying, I was like, do you know Catholics do this because of this? And she was like, well, no. And this, so 
by me catching on fire, that launched her even more to go, now I know why I do the things that are in my heart that I've been compelled to do. So it's mm-hmm. like when her intellect matched her heart, man, she just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as those three guys, I have no, man, I'll t- that's just a God thing. I have, I have some very holy grandparents who prayed for me. And it's funny, I, I don't stay in touch with, I haven't seen them ever since. It's just, wow. we've just never reconnected through it all. That's I think incredible. that it was just at a certain time and a certain moment, you know? Mm. Yeah, they were inspired, divinely inspired to intercede for you in your life. I mean, praying, it, it speaks volumes to, you know, maybe there's been a moment where you've been in a person's life, you don't know why, you don't understand it, you feel compelled to pray for them or even, you know, speak to them, call them out in to not be afraid in those moments. And that literally played a major part in changing your life, Sean. So here you are, um, you, what are you facing financially? You can't get a job. What's next? What's happening? You're in the process of converting to the Catholic faith. Yeah. I mean, I'm scared to death because I'm like, what else can I do? You know, I didn't go to college. Eventually I did and got my degree in theology 20 years later. But at the time I'm like, what, what am I going to do? So I just started doing what I knew at do and i just started writing songs about faith and put my heart out there and i just started doing these little coffee houses and so i went from this huge stage full of people to these coffee houses full of christians or little church shows and a guy sitting there is uh his name's dan he was the former uh man uh road manager for bono of u2 and he heard it loved it and then signed me to a record deal for christian music And next thing I know, I'm performing in bigger crowds and that's going phenomenal. But, you know, walking with God, it's, you know, it's an interesting journey, right? So uh, I'm like, wow, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it even bigger than I did. And then it just, my heart was just compelled to be more of an evangelist instead of just singing. I really wanted to share the gospel. So I actually gave that up to start running retreats uh, for kids and and schools. So I I used to run about a hundred confirmation retreats a year. I did that for about 20 years. Um, And then during that time, it was really clear, you know, God just kept putting on my heart, take care of my poor, my poor. And when I heard mother Teresa say the poorest of the poor, that's when I was like, all right, I know God's asking me to work with the poor. And uh, my pastor, one day I said, Hey, I need to work with the poorest of the poor. And he said, I'm going to Haiti in two weeks. You want to go? And I was like, absolutely. And the rest was history. That's that was Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. So it was this crazy time of my wife and I trying to figure it out, you know, because it's difficult when sometimes somebody comes into the faith and the other spouse doesn't, there can be a resentment there, almost a jealousy towards God. Right. So I'm really grateful that when I launched into it, she was ready to launch with me. It was, it it was really a beautiful moment for us in in our marriage. And then to tell my wife, by the way, I'm quitting the record deal because I feel like uh, God's calling me to go live in a hut in Haiti and build an orphanage, a school, (laughs) medical clinic. And, you know, and thank God I have a wife who's like, I've trusted you this far. Um, I'm all in. And uh, thank God she supported that. There's nothing greater. One of the greatest things that can happen to a man is to have a wife who says, I believe in you. Uh, This isn't cuckoo. We've discerned it. We've prayed and um, let's go for it. I mean, that that's, that's an amazing gift. Amen. Uh, let's continue to talk a little bit about your story. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. That's Sean Forrest. It's our weekly gentleman's hour today on Trending. Sean, you've had this massive conversion. 
what was it like kind of navigating some of those pieces? Because again, you went from the secular world into this profound conversion and there were a lot of pieces to navigate with your wife, with, um, you know, looking and anticipating. I don't think you had any children yet. You're looking ahead toward children. Can you walk us through what some of those pieces looked like for you right when you converted? Um, I mean, I, I was just dumbfounded because it was just so big and emotionally, I mean, for me personally, it's like all of a sudden I'm like going, wait, you mean I can't just take my hurts and wounds from childhood and numb them with booze and being on stage. I have to deal with stuff and actually go to God and confess sins. So, I mean, I, I was actually having anxiety. It, it, it was an exciting time, but it was horrific because God was like, if I'm going to use you, we got to heal some stuff. And so he brought me into the fire of anxiety, panic attacks, this whole thing to get me ready to launch me to go out. And, you know, I, I, I don't really fit into any mold as I'm, you know, I, I'm still this stage performer in the Catholic world. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the holiest of guys. I'm just a very regular person that I just keep saying yes to God, but I find myself in the confessional frequently, you know, um, all while my wife is like, Hey, uh, let's go on another retreat. And I'm like, absolutely. Uh, uh, she's all excited. That's great. But we're still trying to figure that out between us two. Uh, it's, it's actually almost hard to put into words uh, between us, just this exciting, horrifying, wonderful experience, all while trying to deal with the public again in this new platform while dealing with people who all of a sudden show up at a show uh, who, who haven't been to church and, 20 years, but heard them performing in there. And they're looking at me, scratching the heads going, wait, weren't you like a year ago singing about Jägermeister? Now you're singing a song about Jesus. What's going on here? <laughs> so it was really just a tumultuous time of, I don't know what I'm doing. God, just do whatever you want. Cause I'm just kind of lost right now. And I'm just going to keep walking. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's really where I was at. I'd love to hear for you, especially being a convert, you weren't originally Catholic, what confession was like? You mentioned anxiety and panic attacks in the midst of this conversion, but I know you have a strong devotion to confession today. What was it like for you in the very beginning, and how has that led to the devotion you have today to regularly going to confession? So my my first confession, oh my goodness, like honestly... I, I wasn't even Catholic at the time when I went to confession. I went to again afterwards. I just was so compelled to go. Wow. Um, but but it, it was for the priest. Is like, what? I'm like, whatever. So uh, uh, you're not Catholic? <laughs> Please I'm just like, let no. me confess. Like, <laughs> so it was a really healing thing. You know, I have a lot of Protestant brothers and sisters out there on fire for the Lord, but I've tried to tell them that when I was a Protestant, when I came back to my Protestant faith, I still had so much guilt and shame because you're like, yes, Jesus forgives you. He forgives you. And I'm like going, yeah, but I, I, it just doesn't, I'm just not free. And my first confessional, I asked the priest to, you know, walk me through, the, you know, uh, walk me through the 10 commandments and just let me relive everything. And I was in there for about 55 minutes and I'll never forget the priest had this cross and he put my hands around it, put his hands around it. And when he said, I absolve you of all your sins, though you're unfaithful, here you means faithful. I just, I walked out literally feeling free for the first time in so long in my life. So it's, I, I frequent confession. I, I, I need to, cause I'm a sinner, but also it's such an amazing gift. Um, so yeah, that, that, was so transformative for me to actually vocalize my sins out loud and hear somebody say back, 
you're forgiven, not just hope you're forgiving or trust, but to hear somebody speaking in the person of, you know, Christ in persona Christi and say, I absolve you of all your sins. You're like, Oh my gosh. It not, the wonder was gone. I'm like, I'm free. Um, so when, when, and when you experience something like that, you just have to tell everybody. Now, again, I, every show or anything I do, I tell people I'm not holy. I don't have it together. I'm a train wreck, just so close to going off the rails. And I just thank God for the church and its sacraments. That's the only thing that keeps me on the track. And I bump off once in a while, but you know, God's a fool for, for me, you know, so he keeps bringing me back a wonderful fool. When I say fool, you know what I mean? Um, he's like, yeah, you're not ahead, but I love you. Come on back. <laughs> so Sean, can you tell us if St. Joseph played any role in your conversion into the faith or even in these years since converting to Catholicism? So in the beginning, actually, no. But when I had children and I really tried to be a good husband, like really a faith, so much so, um, as far as understanding that I'm the protector of my family. You know, Joseph was this great protector of, you know, of God and the mother of God. And, you know, he's willing to lay his life down for his family. And that spoke so much to me with my kids that not only do I, I need to protect them physically, but spiritually, the devil wants them. And it allowed me to look around and say, what have I been inviting to our house that might affect our kids? What, what can I do to defend my kids? Um, it's real easy in my profession to want to get really big so people know you and so you take all these gigs then you're away from your family and the devil's like great i love pride it's my favorite sin because now i got your kids because you're so busy building up that ego again that you left your kids unattended so that's saint joseph helped me to see that it, i've got to take care of my heart with god first then my family and then any ministry after that and mm -hmm. and, and he also gave me the courage to with my kids really speak to them about the faith, to be present to them, not be embarrassed to pray over them and bring them on an adventure for God. You know, I've been working with the youth for so long and the kids, many of them are so bored because they're not on an adventure. They're just reading books about Jesus, but they're not out on mission trips. They're not encountering the poor and feeding, you know, they're, they're not given the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. They're, they're, they're potential witnesses of Jesus instead of actual witnesses for Jesus. And so from a young age, we, you know, I was like, all right, you know, I got to look at St. Joseph and he's going to be like, all right, man, you, you see what I did? I, I protected my family. I was there for them. I took care of my wife. And that was instrumental to me of saying, if that's what he did, if God trusted this man with his son and the blessed mother, uh, I've, I've got to pay attention to what this, what this saint did. So it was, it, St. Joseph really helped me to grow close to my children, not be afraid to do whatever it takes, no matter how countercultural or how bizarre things might seem. It's like, yeah, okay. So I'm going to drive my kids an hour to this Catholic school because it's, it's authentic. It's real. It teaches the faith. It's, it's a lot of time. And people would say things, well, don't you get tired of the ride? And my wife and I'd say, no, because we have the best conversations on the way home from school. I, we got a captive audience. So in that sense, teaching me not to be afraid and to, to face whatever's coming at my family head on and be, you know, be the shield where the devil's spear hits me first before it'll even touch my family. Um, it, it was a big influence on my life. 
Sean, thank you so much for your testimony, the work you do today as a father, as a spouse, and your work in Haiti. If you'd like to learn more about Sean's music or his mission work in Haiti serving especially orphan children there, uh, check out Haiti180.com as well as SeanForest.com. That's S-E-A-N Forest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T.com. We'll include links. We've already included the links on social media. You can find that on Twitter and Facebook at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And they'll also be in the podcast notes for today's show. It's an incredible testimony. I hope that you'll share Sean's story with others by subscribing to the podcast relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast, we are there. You can save this episode, send a link to a friend, text it to a friend. Uh, we'll be right back here on trending during our weekly gentleman's hour. We'll talk about St. Joseph and his title, Servant of Christ, and also unpack the latest news of a rogue attorney general and a rogue judge in the state of Michigan making up their own rules about abortion and not following the laws there in Michigan. In the face of Roe versus Wade being overturned. We'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. In the tradition of the church, we have always celebrated St. Joseph on Wednesdays. There are themes that permeate throughout the life of the church, various months, and even days of the week. Each day of the week has a theme. And Wednesday, we turn to the intercession of St. Joseph. It's also traditionally held a day of penance for extra fasting or abstinences or offerings that are available to us that we can participate in. But Something I like to do, and we've often done this here on Trending, is walk through some of the titles that St. Joseph holds, especially in the litany of St. Joseph. And one that has been particularly on my mind is the title in the litany of St. Joseph, where he's referred to as the servant of Christ. And especially when talking with Sean Forrest from Haiti180.com, I mean, hearing his testimony from the fame and the the you know success in the eyes of the world and the monetary gain and then having this conversion and just being absolutely knocked on his butt by this conversion uh, and how it transformed and changed his life i was thinking about saint joseph and how when we hear at least when i hear this title sir, that he was the servant of christ here's this father who was the father of a baby. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he knew Our Lady through uh, her pregnancy. He saw the birth of Jesus Christ. He held the infant in his arms. And yet St. Joseph holds this title, Servant of Christ. Not, uh, and we do talk about him as the head of the Holy Family, but at the same time as he's the head, he's also the servant. And that title right there, I really do believe just knocks us off of our high horse of pride, of authority, of position, um, of desire to be seen, and reminds us that we're called to service. Jesus Christ gives us this model that he has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we see in St. Joseph that 
while he was the father, he served the son. He became the servant of Christ. And it's interesting because it's so enchanting. A child can be um, that a parent is enchanted by their child. You know, a parent can be willing to do anything to meet the needs of a child from diapers to feedings to sacrificing their own sleep and any number of things that a parent does for the child. But St. Joseph did the same thing in unimaginable ways at a time when we didn't have 21st century uh, conveniences and technologies to make things easier. But also, he did all of this at the hands of the service of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, who was housed on, under his own roof. Imagine the pressure and the expectations uh, placed on himself that he had for himself, knowing how special this child was and how special the mother of God was. And it's a reminder to me that we are called to live that life in union with Christ in conformity to the service Christ gave, but how also we can look at St. Joseph in the conformity and service that he gives to Christ and the life of Christ. And that should rock our world. So when we hear the stories such as Sean Forrest, who just shared his own incredible testimony about how his conversion to his faith rocked his world, it led him to lose everything and transition into a totally different lifestyle. And that's a good thing. Conversion should rock our world and it should continue to do so. It should be earth shattering at times. You know, it, it poses challenges in how we raise our families, how we engage in our relationships, how we do the work that we do, how you know we choose the types of jobs, the types of investments, where we live. It guides and fosters and lives in everything we do in our lives. And that calls for a new way of living. And that is why St. Joseph is a servant of Christ, because he answered the call, whether it was being called to move to Egypt and flee, whether it was being called to leave Egypt that was a safe haven for them, where they had settled down and started to build relationships and friendships and a home. It, everything St. Joseph did showed how service permeated his very life. And that is why he's a saint today. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. As the debates continue to circle around everything surrounding abortion, abortion access, and the future of abortion if and I believe when Roe versus Wade is overturned in the coming days and weeks by the Supreme Court of the United States in the court case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, the case coming out of Mississippi. So here's some of the latest news. In the state of Michigan, a pro-abortion judge and the attorney general have absolutely gone rogue and have blocked a longtime state abortion law, nearly a hundred year old abortion law that is currently on the books in Michigan because they are afraid in anticipation of Roe versus Wade being overturned that suddenly abortion will be made illegal in their state. And technically it would and should be. In the state of Michigan in 1931, like majority of states across the nation prior to Roe versus Wade, abortion was criminalized. 1931, in the state of Michigan, a law uh, became the law of the land in Michigan that criminalized abortion as a felony, except when necessary to save the life of a mother. And just to be clear, we talked about this earlier in the week and last week, there's never a case where abortion is justifiable or should be ever used to kill the to save the life of the mother. Um, you 
do not have to kill one life and intentionally go in and kill a baby's life in order to save the mother. That's just not something that makes any sense and has never been a medical practice uh, that is necessary. And we could talk about that more later, but I want to talk about the Michigan law. So this was a law as of 1931. It's still on the books today. The day that Roe versus Wade uh, was, the decision was handed down in 1973, over 40 years after this law was implemented in the state of Michigan, suddenly abortion became legal and accessible in the state of Michigan. But if and when Roe versus Wade is overturned, the current state of the law is that abortion is a criminal offense. Well, what happened this week? The Court of Claims Judge Elizabeth Glacier has issued a preliminary injunction against any enforcement of this state law. She did so out of request and out of a lawsuit by Planned Parenthood. So what this means in the preliminary injunction is that the court is order ordering any a prohibition on any lawsuit and therefore ultimately any enforcement of this law until there has been a trial or other court action. So what this means is that even though the law in Michigan is that abortion is a criminal offense, even though that's the standing law, when Roe versus Wade is overturned, there's an injunction on this law, so this law will not be enforced. Now, this is an example of what's going to actually happen in the vast majority of states. There are actually currently pro-life laws written into the state constitution, into the state law, in a number of states that would immediately immediately make states pro-life. And this is why the battle from state to state is so important because Roe versus Wade being overturned returns the question of abortion to the states. And in the state of, of Michigan, abortion would be illegal. Now, again, this law has not been enforced since 1973 when the decision of Roe versus Wade was made. But let's give a little bit more history. So Judge Elizabeth Glacier uh, was actually involved back in 1997 when actually back in the 90s and 97, Planned Parenthood sued the state sued the state claiming a constitutional right to abortion. So they obviously were a little concerned about, you know, the state law in Michigan, and they were concerned possibly about Roe versus Wade being overturned. And so what they did is the Michigan Court of Appeals then looked at this and said, okay, well, is there a constitutional right to abortion underneath the Michigan Constitution? Well, the Michigan Court of Appeals found that there's absolutely no right to abortion in their state constitution. Well, the Court of Claims Judge Elizabeth Gleischer was then at that time volunteering for the ACLU, radical, pro-abortion, pro-everything we don't agree with organization of lawyers that at the time was representing Planned Parenthood. Well, guess what? Judge Elizabeth Glacier was actually representing Planned Parenthood in this case back in 1997, when the Michigan Court of Appeal made clear there's no constitutional right to abortion. Judge Elizabeth Glacier actually lost this court battle when she was representing Planned Parenthood. Well, fast forward to this week. Judge Elizabeth Glacier has gone rogue making this decision 
as now she's currently the court of claims judge, which really doesn't have an authority to just step in on a decision like this, but she has, she took it upon herself to engage in an analysis without considering any advocacy in terms of opposition as to whether or not there should be an injunction placed against the current standing Michigan law. Now, in reality, Judge Glacier should have recused herself from making any decision on this case as she represented Planned Parenthood on this exact same issue back in 1997. And she's a known monthly donor to Planned Parenthood. So she's clearly biased. She clearly has a vested interest. And this was a bad uh, this was a bad judicial decision because not only did she not recuse herself and step out of making this decision, but she didn't even engage with the debate or the opposition when she just made a random rogue decision to place an injunction so that the Michigan state law protecting and saving babies and outlawing abortion would go into place automatically when Roe versus Wade is overturned. But the story continues. The Michigan Attorney General, Dana Nessel, had also already claimed she would not enforce the current 1931 law. So she already took it upon herself, the Attorney General saying, I'm not going to enforce this law. So don't worry. She told Planned Parenthood not to worry, but Planned Parenthood said, okay, great, you're not going to enforce the law outlawing abortion, but you won't always be our Attorney General, so we do need to fight this. And that's when they turned to Judge Glacier, and Judge Glacier, as well as the Attorney General in Michigan both went rogue here. This is concerning. They're absolutely blowing off law. These are elected and appointed officials of the state who are meant to protect and uphold the law and the people, and they are making their own decisions, arbitrarily not following the proper process. John Bursch, an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, he's a senior counsel and was the former Michigan Solicitor General, said this, this is the kind of message you end up with in the court system when the state executives and its attorney general refuse to uphold and defend a law that has been in place since 1931. They may not like it, but no one, no one has the ability to unilaterally ignore change or encourage the invalidation of Michigan law. They should be working through the democratic process like anyone else. Okay, this is a really big deal, and I think that more attention should be paid to this because what we're seeing is outright rogue attorney generals, rogue judges, just making arbitrary decisions, choosing not to enforce law. They don't have the jurisdiction. They have no right to do so. This is what we are going to see in the coming months when Roe versus Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court. The decision of abortion will return to the individual states. Some states have already voted in a pro-life or pro-abortion direction. Many states already have laws on the books, just like the state of Michigan, that actually outlaws abortion. We are going to see a state of unrest. We are probably going to see riots. We are going to see anarchy over the issue of abortion. I know many people are expecting this, but it's important that we understand the celebration of Roe versus Wade being overturned is a day to absolutely rejoice. God will bless this great nation for having done something good to work toward ending abortion. 
but the fight will only continue. We need to polish up our abortion arguments. We need, as I keep saying, to pray and fast. Pray for peace. Pray for people who've experienced abortions for peace and healing. We need to pray for our lawmakers, appointed judges, attorney generals, that they do the right thing. They uphold the commitments they have made based on their offices, based on their appointments. Because the reality is, is that we are facing what will show serious civil unrest. And I know some people have been concerned that abortion could be the issue that leads to unprecedented civil unrest like we have never seen before here in the States. We need to be, as people of faith, prepared to harbor peace, to be prepared to harbor truth, to be a witness to the gospel, but the gospel of life. Do not be afraid to boldly and passionately speak the truth of human life. Talk about how abortion hurts women because the reality is, and this is the good news, the vast majority of Americans are indeed pro-life. No matter the statistics that you see, people don't support second and third trimester abortion. And many people who do support first trimester abortion, although they support it, would personally claim they do not want an abortion. And if they truly knew and understood what happened, the full development of a child in that first trimester, they would never be okay with it. And I have seen this firsthand, having the opportunity to educate on the issue of abortion, that when people actually understand what it is, how abortion is performed, the profound development of new human life in the womb, when they hear the beats of those babies' hearts, when they recognize the rapid development, yes, the vulnerability and dependence on the mother, they're in awe of the gift and development of human life. They're horrified by the type of abortion that could or would be performed, and they choose life. This is an issue of both education but this is also an issue of us being willing to engage in those conversations, of being able to get a little egg on our face when people are so disgusted that they think that we don't believe in equality or freedom or happiness for women, but indeed we believe in all of those things, but they've been brainwashed. That's the truth of the matter. If you have a question, I'm happy to take it. If you're struggling with the, issue, the topic of abortion, you are pro-life, but you're on the fence, you think there are certain exceptions, I'm here, I'm talking about this every day here on Trending, because this is a conversation we have to have. If you're not quite there fully in the pro-life position, but you want to be, ask your question, don't be afraid. And if you're receiving questions from people and you feel a little uncomfortable, you need the confidence or the tools in order to respond to those pro-abortion arguments, we're happy to take them here on Trending. The number's 1-888-914-9149. We only have a couple minutes left here. However, you can send me questions on my Instagram, on social media. Follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And I wanted to actually share some good news just in the few moments we had. We've talked a lot this week about how the genetic tests that are given to babies in utero to test for whether or not a baby might have a genetic disorder. Well, news came out last year that 85% of these tests 
when they come up as positives are actually false positives. Now, many women choose to have abortions because of this. We heard the story of a couple whose marriage was being torn apart because they were advised to have an abortion uh, when a genetic disorder was uh, seemingly diagnosed by uh, one of these tests. And I heard from Steph Elam on social media on Twitter, and she said, I will pray for this man. That is Justin. Please pray for him and his marriage to be healed after this abortion that's ravaged their marriage. But she said this, she said, I had my daughter at 17, my senior year in high school. She said, I almost said the same thing, that is have an abortion because the baby had a genetic disorder. However, that baby was born with a genetic disorder, but today is completely healthy at 31 year old and I cannot imagine my life without her. Although we had our hardships, I wouldn't change a thing. This is a story of life and these are stories we need to share. Dating, marriage, relationships, so many questions. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursday is our weekly marriage hour, and we'll do anything and everything from taking your questions on dating, marriage, relationships, including experts in all areas of relationships to long-term marriage. We'll also dive into some of the most important topics confronting how to find true love today. So join me Thursday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.